Blog Talk Radio. And good evening. My name is Ryan Miner. You are listening to a special election edition of a minor detail on the Change Montgomery County Radio Network. Uh, I have with me now uh, Eugene Craig, who is the Maryland Republican Party's third vice chairman, and Eugene also attended the debate with me and Cleveland on Thursday night. Eugene, you want to say hi? Hey, guys. Glad to be on. Okay, and then the next person I have is Corey Stevens. She is – Corey, you're out of Texas. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct, in Houston. Okay, you're out of Houston, Texas. You are a freelance blogger and writer, and also you are a political consultant. Corey, welcome to the show. Thank you. Okay, and I have Joseph Swartz, who is the president of Millennial Maryland. Joey, welcome to the show. You've been on before, but thanks again for joining us. Thanks for having me, Ryan. You bet. And I have Robert Nicky, who is currently living in the great New York City, who is a former Maryland resident. Rob and I have uh, mixed it up before in Frederick County as young Republicans. And Rob, I'm so glad to hear your voice again and so glad for you to be on the show. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, I'm supposed to so I'm supposed to have Robin Ficker and Jason Bovera. So let me see. I have two other people on the line. So just give me one second. Jason, is that you? No, this is Robin Ficker. Robin Ficker. Robin Ficker, who is a super attorney. He is from Montgomery County. Who was recently interviewed by Megan Kelly herself and a former District 15 candidate um, for. Uh, the Maryland State Senate um, in 2014. Robin, thanks so much, and welcome to the show. Nice to be with you. And I have one other person. Um, if I haven't introduced you, go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm not sure who this is. This is Jason. Okay, Jason Bovert, who is a freelance blogger at the Dark Tech Observer, who uh, who is a great writer and who covers Maryland politics and the uh, – Recently has been cover- doing a great job of covering the uh, the new Maryland Young Republicans. So, panel, this is awesome for you all to join me on Sunday evening at last minute. And we're going to talk in depth about the Republican debate. And just a little sidebar, I had a great opportunity to attend the debate. We drove out to Cleveland. We left uh, Montgomery County on Thursday morning. And we got there probably around 2 o'clock. And then we mixed it up a little bit. We uh, We had a... Um, uh, it was a uh, meet and greet um, for all the Rand Paul supporters. So, yes, I am one of those wacky libertarian Republicans, uh, and we, we met with Rand Paul and uh, had a great talk. I, I told him – I literally told him to go kick some ass, and he laughed. And uh, so we'll talk about his performance later. And then um, at 5 o'clock – so we'll go right into this. At 5 o'clock, uh, we went into a bar called um, – Harry Buffalo's, which was right outside of Cleveland, right next to uh, the Quicken Loan Stadium, uh, otherwise known as the Q. We sat in a bar, and we watched uh, bits and pieces of the 5 o'clock debate. And I have to tell you, I, I only caught the the select few, and this show tonight is going to focus more on the primetime 9 o'clock debate. But nonetheless, um, the general consensus was and is that Carly Fiorina – tore it up. And I want to start with you, um, Corey Stevens. Corey, what did you th- did you have a chance to watch the 5 o'clock as they dubbed it the happy hour debate and what are your thoughts about the debate? I did watch the happy hour debate and I believe I tweeted something to the effect of Carly Fiorina is the only grown woman on the stage of little boys because <laughs> that was how I felt about it. She really did wipe the floor, and she proved that she's a great communicator. And, you know, I, too, am a wacky libertarian Republican like yourself, and um, I think I kicked off a couple of my libertarian friends and followers when I said how much I like Carly. But it's not that I 100% agree with her on policy. I think she communicates so many key conservative issues so well, and it's important to have someone like that in the mix. I mean, I don't know if people saw her interview with Chris Matthews after the debate. She just completely owned that. She's a really, really good communicator, and she stood out beyond the pack. Seven Republican candidates stood on the stage at 5 o'clock, and it was selected based upon polling. And if you will, I think that um, the G- there was some confusion, uh, and the Maryland Democratic Party uh, sent out some un- unkind tweets suggesting that the Maryland Republican Party somehow decided that 
Carly Fiorina, based upon her gender alone, would be excluded from the primetime debate, but that is completely false because Fox News took an aggregate of all the polls and said, if you, are, if you meet this threshold and or above it, you are welcome to be in the primetime debate. And according to Fox News polls, seven candidates, including Jim Gilmore, was the former governor of the great state of Virginia, Lindsey Graham, current senator in South Carolina, Bobby Jindal, the current governor of Louisiana, Rick Perry, former governor of Texas, Rick Santorum, former United States senator from Pennsylvania, Carly Fiorina, former Senate candidate and HP executive, and Governor George Pataki, um, former governor of New York. They did not meet the the, the, the poll numbers for 9 o'clock. Um, so, unfortunately, I wish all of them ha- had the opportunity to be on stage, but could you imagine, Rob Nicky, should all of them be on the stage at the same time, would that have been a disaster? Well, I, I think th- I think it would have actually been a disaster. You have two hours, seventeen individuals. It would have been it would have been chaos. Um, I think the way Fox News handled and broke down the two debates by taking the top ten and doing that at a more prime time, I think actually served to be more of an effective means of showing America what the Republican Party really has to offer. Right, Ryan, I I agree. Uh, Robin Ficker, did you have a chance to watch the 5 o'clock debate? Yes, I did watch the 5 o'clock debate. I made a special trip home to see it, and I I think it was illuminating. People got to know some of the lesser candidates. The problem is that some of those lesser candidates, like Carly Filarina, have really not had the scrutiny And I think if you go back and look at some of Barbara Boxer's ads that she ran in the race for California Senate, the U.S. Senate, I think that uh, perhaps you'll have some second thoughts about Carly uh, being the next president. Yeah, with with Carly, uh, Eugene Craig, uh, I can tell you that when she first came on the, the national stage, um, I had known her for her previously because she ran for the Senate. Uh, unfortunately, she came up short in 2010. And uh, I, during her 2010 com- campaign for the California Senate, uh, U.S. Senate, uh, she was battling breast cancer, and she also recently had lost a daughter. Um, and it's, it was a very sad situation. But when I watch bits and pieces inside the bar uh, from Cleveland, just a block away from the Q Stadium, every time Carly came up to bat, she was clear, she was concise, she, w- she was articulate, and it just seemed she was totally unfazed by the other candidates, and she made a great remark, that, and she said, they asked her, well, what are you going to do to break through? And she said, I'm going to keep doing what I am doing. Eugene Craig, do you think that if Carly Fiorina continues to do what she is doing now, which is seems, seemingly is winning over people, do you think that she has a chance to break into the top ten? I, I do. Um, you know, I didn't get a chance to see the debate uh, during that five o'clock hour. Um, there was a Black Republican reception that I was attending, but everybody that was at the other, everybody that I got a chance to talk to that was at the RNC meeting um, that during a week and uh, that watched that five o'clock debate was thoroughly impressed with her. I mean, thoroughly impressed with her. I mean, there was even talk that you know she's probably performed the best out of both debates. Um, I do think that I think she's going to have to make a couple more headlines to make the next the next big debate, but I don't think that it's you know out of the question. I think you know it's very much possible um, mm-hmm. if she keeps doing what she's doing. Um, I do like that you know she's coming out swinging and defending Megyn Kelly on this whole uh, you know Trump situation that has developed over the last couple of days. You know yeah, I think put- it's things like that that she has to come out and define herself as a candidate to the rest yeah, of the she- world. Yeah, she put um, it know, out there yesterday. Politicals know her, but you know, many that weren't, you know, that that didn't follow the 2010 race or didn't know her tenure as uh, the CEO of HP or didn't even know her tenure as the chairman of the ACU um, as she was uh, a year ago. Um, yeah. You know, they're they're new to Carly Fiorina. Okay, uh, next question, Jason. Uh, you see some of these kind of has been candidates that have run previously, and. For for what it for for what it matters, um, they have decent records, but they cannot seem to break through the top ten. And for an example, Rick Santorum, he ran last time in 2012, 
and he actually won Iowa by a some just ridiculously small number, and Romney came in second place. Why do you think Rick Santorum isn't breaking through the pack? Because he's got a very specific message that applies to a very limited number of people. He is the uh, quasi-conservative, blue-collar Catholic in the race. It's just his 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 appeal is almost exclusively on the social issues to the to to the exclusion of basically everything else. I mean, he's got uh, just kind of sort of let's change a little bit in the of a, of a tax reform plan, you know, a, a big kind of protectionist pro-manufacturing stance that's not really thought through because protectionist measures generally aren't. And it's just really he's the guy with a large number of kids and who's very Catholic. And yeah, I think yeah. that's basically it. It appeals to the people who are deeply religious and that's, cause it, and, and that's their politics, is that they're deeply religious, and that's, that's the extent to which his appeal goes. Joey, Joey Swartz, Bobby Jindel is a Harvard-trained lawyer. He is, was a former congressman. Uh, he is the current governor of Louisiana. He has a very detailed and comprehensive plan for health care. In fact, he was one of, I think, Louisiana's youngest health commissioner, and I may not be phrasing that title correctly. But nonetheless, Bobby Jindal was a rising star or has been a rising star in the Republican Party for the last four or five years. He gave the State of the Union rebuttal, I believe, in 2009 and sort of flubbed that. And now he's running for president. And Bobby Jindal has a pretty conservative record. Why do you think he is not breaking through into the top ten? If I had to take it down, I would I would say that it's that uh, Jindal has a very narrow focus in, on almost everything that he does, right? So Jindal's message is, even though he seems to have a, a you know very detailed grasp of policy, like you mentioned, um, Jindal very often comes off as uh, angry in the way that he speaks. He is uh, you know one of the folks that would be more anti-Obama than he is pro whatever policy you have, and. Jindal is very, very firmly on the social conservative side of things. At right. other points, uh, at other elections, that played much stronger than it does now. So look at, for example, 2004. The social, the social conservative uh, piece was much more of a draw. I think now there um, are some elements of social, conservative, uh, social conservatism that are, are relevant or are at least being talked about right now. The Planned Parenthood videos would be a good example um, but by and large, there's a bigger conversation on there's a bigger conversation on uh, economics. Okay, the the issue of jobs, jobs, jobs. Um, there is an there's a conversation on how are we going to beat Hillary. I think there's a little bit of a uh, contest there of like, well, but who can win? Who can win? Who can win? And that's sort of what everyone's talking about. And Jindal is really focused on. Uh, religious conservative issues, social conservative issues, and I think that maybe you know puts him a little bit in the back of the pack. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, so let's in, talk about... Incidentally, very, yeah, go very, ahead, very briefly, uh, just because it's going to drive me up the wall otherwise, it's, it's Jindal, not Jindal. Okay, Jindal. I, okay, thank you for that, that correction. I want to go to Governor Jim Gilmore from Virginia. He is the latest entrant into the race, and... He was the former governor on uh, Virginia on 9-11, as was George Pataki. George Pataki, Jim Gilmore. Uh, these guys, it seems like they just have such low name recognition that they probably will not break out into the top ten or gain any significant traction. Uh, Corey, do you agree with that statement, or do you think that they have a chance to shine and talk about their plans and actually break into the top ten? You know, during the happy hour debate, when I first started tweeting as I was watching it, I was like, I've literally never heard of these two guys. I can't even tell them apart. You know, through the debate, I started to think that Pataki was actually a somewhat interesting. I think he's articulate, and I think he explained the reforms he put through in New York pretty well. Gilmore didn't stand out to me at all. I honestly thought Pataki, just based on performance, was second to Carly in that debate, but I still don't think he's interesting enough to break through, and I just think he's, it's been so long since he's been in office, he's just not going to be able to break through when there's so many other, frankly, more interesting candidates, especially in, you know, people like 
Scott Walker, Marco mm-hmm. Rubio, Rand Paul. I just don't see a constituency for him. So, Rob hey, Nicky, go ahead. Hey, Ryan, I was going to say, if I can give an anecdotal thought to that. Yeah, Eugene Craig, go. I, I was 11 years old when both of them served as governors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, just to show the, the disconnect there. You know, yeah. 11 years old, you know, you know, politics was the furthest thing from my mind, let alone, you know, following their their, their time as governor and their track record. Um, you know, I don't think they'll break through because I don't think, you know, they'll they'll be able to establish that connection. You know, I think 9-11 was tragic for all of us. But, you know, once again, you know, I was 11. And, you know, a yeah. good amount of folks that are in that, you know, 18 to 30 range, you know, they were in that, you know, 16 to 7 range during that time. Um, right. and so I think, you know, I think with the older generation of Republicans, maybe, but not, I, I, don't, I don't see them building a coalition that allows them to break through. Uh, Rob Nicky, you are a fan of Senator Lindsey Graham, and I saved this this last person just for you because I know that you're going to have fun discussing him. Um, what do you, what is Lindsey Graham doing running for president? <laughs> I um I have you on mute, so you couldn't hear me laugh at that one. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> okay, Lindsey Graham would be my ideal candidate for president. However, to to actually announce that I support Lindsey Graham would probably be social and political suicide. <laughs> um, but what I like about Lindsey Graham, and uh, just like I think the Ben Carsons of the world probably has no really, really no reason to be on stage with some of the more heavy hitters. Um, But what I like about Lindsey Graham is his foreign policy. And Ryan, as I think you know of of my political ideology, a lot of it is shaped by foreign policy. Sure, Um, sure. But but I I, I think to say that, you know, I support Lindsey Graham would be be, um, a misstatement. I, I honestly do believe that, you know, him and... Probably about a half dozen other Republican candidates have no business being on stage. Fair enough, fair enough. Let's move into the 9 o'clock debate, which was the big prime well, time. Uh, did you want to add something, Jason? Yeah, you didn't catch it, but when Lindsey Graham was asked um, what his response would be on the, on the issue of abortion, I think he ended up listing off approximately four countries that he would invade. Like, no joke, he was asked some question about abortion, and his response was, yeah, we can, we're talking about abortion, I'm going to evade Iraq, Syria, Libya, and somebody else. I um, caught that, I tweeted about that, I was like, leave it to Lindsey Graham to turn a question about abortion into a U.S. bomb. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I want to go, I want to go right into the panel. Well, yeah, I want to go right into the 9 o'clock debate, so please bear with me. Uh, the 9 o'clock debate was the prime time. Fox News has been broadcasting the fact that it had 24 million viewers, and according to Donald Trump, all 24 million were ostensibly there to watch him uh, on that, but I don't think that was the case. At the 9 o'clock debate, and this is going from left to right, if you're looking at the stage, Chris Christie, the, go- the current governor of New Jersey, Marco Rubio, current uh, junior senator from Florida, uh, Dr. Ben Carson, a neurosurgeon, Governor Scott Walker, the current governor of Wisconsin, uh, Donald Trump, a real estate mogul, um, owner of Trump everything, uh, Governor Jeb Bush, former Florida governor, Governor Mike Huckabee, former Fox News personality and former governor of Arkansas, um, Senator Ted Cruz from Texas, Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky, and current governor of Ohio, John Kasich. So, um, let's start out. The first question was sort of interesting, and as you can imagine, people sitting in the audience, and uh, Eugene was to my immediate right, uh, to my, I'm sorry, to my left, and, and down some. G- Eugene had better seats than I did, so I'll just go ahead and throw that out there. <laughs> um, but uh, when, when, when they started out the debate and they said, they asked the candidates, Robin Ficker, when they asked the candidates, if, would you pledge here on this stage tonight that you will not run as a third party. What is your reaction to Donald Trump's answer to that? Well, I think that that question, they knew ahead of time what the answer was, and it was directed to only one candidate. They could have had a format where they asked many questions where candidates would simply raise their hands 
and give their quick positions on issues, and that would have been illuminating. But that was just to focus attention on Donald Trump. They knew the answer. I don't. To me, it really wasn't a worthwhile question. I think they should should have gotten on to talk about the uh, entitlements, Social Security, budget deficit. Instead, they engaged. It was making his personality leap out. They should have focused more on the issues. Well, hey, Ryan, I, I have a follow-up comment there, on that. I, if, yeah. I could, this is Joey. Well, panel, panel, hold on a second. I got to uh, – Joey, go ahead and follow up with that. I'm pretty sure I heard your voice first. Yeah, uh, so this criticism has been levied about that about that first set of questions, that it was somehow a gotcha question, which I'm not sure I, I really think that there's such a such a thing. But it's a quote unquote gotcha question, and that it was in some way unfair or was singling Donald Trump out. And certainly, I don't uh, I, I don't disagree that it was an it was an issue that was you know specifically brought up because of Trump's uh, you know insinuations that he might uh, run on a third party ticket if he didn't get the nod. But the idea that it's an unfair or an unworthwhile question, I don't really think is 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 accurate. And the reason is. Look, we can talk about entitlement. We can talk about any number of issues that are important. But what does it matter if a third-party candidate scuttles any chance of a real competitive uh, election? If, if we had a tradition or a mechanism in this country that allowed for a really competitive, you know, multi-way race, then that that criticism might be fair. But ultimately, the mechanics of it, whether I like it or not, all right, are that are that it's a two-party system here. And it's going to be a Democrat versus a Republican in the end. And in yeah. the odd years that we have a Ross Perot or a Ralph Nader or somebody like that who's really actually commanding a certain uh, you know, threshold portion of the vote, that's a relevant question because that literally changes the field for the entire set of Republican ideas and the entire uh, election in the future. Yeah, uh, Corey Stevens, uh, if Donald Trump would run as a reform party or, say, as an independent, do you think that it, should he jump in, should he decide to do that? And he said that if the Republican Party does not treat me very nice, that there's a possibility that he could do that. Would that unequivocally throw the election to the Democrats in 2016? I hate to say unequivocally because I haven't seen enough data or any polling to really be sure, but it wouldn't shock me honestly. Um, I was actually talking to my aunt about this today, who's a strong, strong Democrat, and she said she'd seen my rantings on Facebook about how much I can't stand Donald Trump, and she said, you know, as a Democrat, I'd like nothing more than to see him, you know, run as a third-party candidate, because that would almost guarantee a Democrat. And I said, yeah, that's what scares me more than anything, is, is the idea that he would do that, that it would hurt a Republican. So I think it's very concerning, and, you know... Not to dabble in conspiracy theories, of course, but I just think it's hilarious that Bill Clinton apparently called Trump and encouraged him to run. Not to say he's, quote, a Clinton plant, but that Bill Clinton knows that if Donald Trump is in the race, it only helps Hillary. Yeah, I agree. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and put the tin hat on and say either he's he is aware that he's a stooge for the Clintons or they just, they just fed his ego enough so that he's serving the same person. There's there's really no question that um, it it works to the benefit of Trump to have, or it works to the benefit of the Clintons to have Trump be in the Republican race or running as a third party. And if you listen to his answer when he was asked about uh, would you run as a third party, he said yes unless I am if I'm if I'm the nominee I won't run as a third party. Right. Well. I would hope not, but apparently he felt it enough of a question that he just wants to make clear that he would not completely screw over the Republican Party if he was the nominee. But I, I, I still – it's clear that the Clintons have kind of nudged him into the race to, to be quite literally the Ross Perot of, uh, of Clinton-Bush the first time. Um, right. That, that that that's what they want him for, and he's enough of an ego thinks he can pull it off. They know he can't. Everybody else knows he he can't. He's the only person in the race that would make Hillary Clinton look warm and lovable. Yeah. So uh, Eugene Craig, Eugene Craig, your reaction. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to ask. Let me. Let me just, I, I, go, go ahead. ahead. 
I want to I, I want to okay. go I want to go right into the questions. Um, the first question right off the bat: Megyn Kelly looked at Donald Trump in the face. She was center stage. She was. I wouldn't say eye to eye, but she was looking, sort of looking up. That, that's how the yeah. moderators were said. When she said, when she asked the question and phrased it, that she said, "Mr. Trump, you have disparaged women. You've called them fat pigs and and slobs, and made a comment about how you'd like to see one on their knees." Um, you know, that was sort of we all kind of looked at each other and we're like, "Oh my goodness, what is about to happen?" And Trump answered it, and he sort of said as a sidebar only Rosie O'Donnell I mean I remember that feud back in yeah, 2000 <laughs> back in 2007 when he said he went on e-entertainment and Donald Trump said Rosie O'Donnell is disgusting I mean you take a look at her she's a slob she he called her a degenerate on David Letterman he said that uh, Rosie's very unattractive that he would send one of his friends over to pick up her girlfriend and he said Rosie is very unattractive. She's not only inside and out, but um, everything that she has done has failed, and we all remember that feud. Is that the style of, pre- of kind of presidency that we want? Do we, someone, do we want somebody to tell it the way it is, or is that just straight-up unpresidential? No, and hell no. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's not presidential. Um, that's not what we want. That is not telling it how it is. That, that is being disgusting yourself. Um, you know, this is where I've been framing it the last roughly 24 hours, all right? I've, I've had some Trump diehard, unapologetic supporters come at my neck for, you know, calling him out on this. I, a supervisor, your daughter, a person coming to get a job with me, I tell her, oh, you look good on your knees. How do you feel about that? <laughs> it's not good. Do you frame it in that context? It is unacceptable at any standard. Um, you know, Donald Trump does have a, a history of making um, uh, uh, shady, misogynistic comments, sexist comments. Uh, you know, he does have somewhat of a history of racial bias. Um, you know, I, I've come to think that Donald Trump is everything that is wrong, represents everything that is wrong with the darkest parts of the Republican Party. Um, right. And 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 I think you know, I, I'm 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 looking for the day that you know he drops out of our primary. Yeah, I, I want to bring the yeah. next question to, yeah. to Robin Ryan, Picker. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to say something about that. You know, let the person who is without sin cast the first stone. There is not a, a person among us who hasn't at some point in their lives made a disparaging remark about someone in the other sex or even the same sex. And for the national... Uh, first debate that commanded a huge audience that has taken the air out of the Hillary Clinton fix, for them to focus on some personal nonsense like that, I think was a bad idea. Instead, we should have focused on the idea, on what people are going to be doing to make our country great in the next 20 years, what they're going to do on the main issues of the day, the deficit, Iran, uh, Iraq, the military, the economy, jobs. We should be focusing on that, not on some little words that someone uttered about someone well, in a, well, in a well, personal, in a public squabble at some point. That was the time, the dignity of this debate. Okay. We do yeah, need women to vote Republican. Hey, panel. Panel, this is the uh, moderator in this. Please hold on a second. <laughs> Uh, it's radio, and it's tough to get everybody in. And uh, let me let me just start out. Uh, let's do one at a time. So, uh, Eugene, do you want to f- – let's follow up to uh, Robin's comment, and then we'll go Corey, and then somebody else. And then let, i got to move on because I want to get to the yeah, subject. Yeah, yeah, so, I, I want to follow up Robin's comment real quick. And with all due respect, if that was the case, where's Trump's policies? Trump has not talked policy one day since he's hopped in this race. He's gone at John McCain's war record. Yeah. You know, you know, he's gone at you know, calling you know, illegal aliens to be much rapists and thugs. You know, you know, you know, he he's he's made everything personal in this race and has yet to talk about any policies, yet to put forth any ideas, and yet to put forth any type of solutions to any issues that we're facing outside of oh, you know, I'm gonna build a wall or I'm gonna make this great. You know, you know, apparently making America great again and Donald Trump's eyes, you know, involved insulting everybody. And quite frankly, if he gets this riled up over a tough question from a journalist, I don't yeah. think he honestly can handle Iran or Russia. Yeah, that's been a point made. Corey, do you want to follow up? That's fine. Eugene pretty much made my point. We can move on. 
Okay. Um, actually, I, I want to bring. Go ahead, Jason. I had I had a different point. Is that um, it's 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 really easy when when it's your guy getting called out to say, you know, he who is without sin. But uh, here's the thing, you know, it's 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 one thing to insult somebody because on a on a personal level because you don't like them. Yeah. It's another thing entirely to use really obnoxious language and insults in the public sphere. And the knees comment was not a um, it was not an insult to my understanding. It was it was pretty clearly a a kind of a, well not kind of it was pretty clearly a sexual comment, you yeah. know. And at some oh. point you have to draw the line and say he's not he's not saying it like it is. He's just an uncensored ass. And 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 see, even in this this my lowly little radio show, Donald Trump is probably if he actually listened, which he probably wouldn't, and he would call me a loser or a total zero or something like that. But I cannot let him suck up all the oxygen uh, uh, oxygen of this. So, in fact, we have somebody else calling in, and let me see. I don't know Uh-oh. where they are. Um, if, if somebody is just called in um, at, at last four digits or zero four two seven. I want to bring you in. I'm not sure who this is, but if you want to say something, please, by all means, go ahead. Yeah, it's Phil Parenti. How you doing? From Prince George County? Yeah, hey, Phil. Welcome. Thanks for coming on. What's happening? Oh, not too much. I just wanted to call in. I was... I was um... Getting disconnected, apparently. Yeah, okay. I think Phil may have gotten disconnected. His call has dropped. If he calls back in, I'll, I, I'll, I'll answer his call. But nonetheless, let's go into some of the hey, other Phil. candidates. Um, let's go into some of the other candidates. Um, so, of course, to flanking uh, Donald Trump was Scott Walker to, to to Trump's, I guess, right, and to his left was Jeb Bush. And I got to tell you, um, and this is just my personal perspective. Hello. I think you have those backwards. Okay. Well, I, I nonetheless, flanking Donald Trump was George or uh, Jeb Bush, and uh, and and Scott Walker. So, my impression of Bush for the entire night was sort of milk toast, policy wonky, but really at some times inarticulate. Panel, what say you? And I want to start with Joey. What do you think about Jeb Bush on debate night? So, I mean, as you know, I'm a fairly centrist guy. Um, I initially, I, so I'm always going to start out with a bias against uh, Jeb simply because he has the last name Bush. There have been two other presidents before him with that last name. And so I'm immediately going to discount him because I don't like political dynasties. Um, and, you know, but I was still open-minded to him as the season began uh, because he is a little bit more centrist. You know, he governed in a state that, you know, has some swing votes and, and is pretty important in the, in the uh, presidential elections and whatnot. Uh, I... I couldn't find any reason at all to get excited about Bush. There were a couple of times where I thought, okay, he, you know, he made kind of a good point. Um, I seem to recall the one, uh, the one comment he made that was uh, particularly uh, poignant, that uh, where he was describing um, an experience he had with somebody um, saying some off-color remark to his son, uh, you know, based on the color of his skin. But other than that. I thought he fumbled a lot of the questions, and any time where he did sort of get on a roll, it was because he managed to get into some kind of canned, you know, speech comment um, that he had you know, said a dozen times before, most likely. Uh, I, I didn't really think he was that articulate or, or compelling. Um, he he was asked a question about uh, his his father and brother war his brother's war, meaning the Iraq War and Afghanistan, and. One of the questions that has invaded the Jeb Bush camp since he began running for president is, was the Iraq war, is the Iraq war, is it, was it a mistake? And on the, that debate stage that night, Jeb Bush admitted that, yes, it was a mistake, it was a mistake, there was faulty intelligence, and he also said that when he was governor of Florida that uh, if there was any um, United States military service man or woman who had served in the war that he personally called them – um, and talk to the families, um, and it was sort of an interesting moment because 
big part of this discussion, big part of these dynamics that have been unfolding is how is Jeb Bush going to be able to handle his brother? How is he going to be able to talk about his brother without selling him under the bus for political reasons versus that you know family connection? His brother, his father was a president. And uh, I thought that was a really interesting moment. And um, and I want to move on to, to Walker, uh, Scott Walker, current governor of Wisconsin, who seems to be uh, another one of the, uh, what, top th- three prohibitive frontrunners. And I don't know if anybody um, on the panel is supporting uh, Governor Walker, but I nonetheless think that he was really underwhelming. Um, I wasn't impressed. I didn't find him to be especially engaging. I thought that he was sort of uh, tired and Rob Nicky, what was your impression of Scott Walker on the debate stage last Thursday evening? So, uh, to, to be honest, he was a he was a polished turd. Um, his <laughs> uh, his his answers seemed canned. They were well rehearsed. He clearly went over source material, and uh, he sounded like a politician. I don't necessarily think he did well. I don't think he did poorly. I think he came off as a polished turd. He was just yeah. he was able he was able to you know a fifteen second soundbite with every question that he was given. Yeah, um, he there was a question asked about the economy, which was what I was most interested in. And uh, Eugene, if you remember uh, the moderator, I believe it was it was either Brett Baer. Or uh, Chris Wallace, they you know they they sort of rattled off the statistics about the, the state of Wisconsin. And Governor Governor Walker is seemingly running on his record as a successful record of taking on the the teachers unions and growing job growth. However, Governor Walker is 35 out of 50 in job growth, which is extraordinarily underwhelming. It's sort of a lame number for him. Um, and he's he's not really been attacked by the other other candidates. So, Eugene, what do you think about Walker's position? Is he a conservative? Is he going to ride this thing out? Is he going to emerge as the front runner like a lot of people think he will if Trump uh, inevitably falters? What do you think? Um, you know, I, I think you know he has a conservative position. Um, you know, I guess and you know I'm not a Walker supporter, but I guess in his defense. He has spent half his term, you know, running for election or re-election. Um, you know, I do think um, his, his, if I do think anything that you run on is up a fair game for criticism and critique. Um, and I do think, um, you know, we should ask, you know, honest questions about his record as a job creator in uh, in uh, Wisconsin. Not to say he hasn't done some great things with education and uh, with the teaching and whatnot, but um, I do think that you know everything is up for critique. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, Robin Ficker, let's talk about that exchange between uh, Governor Chris Christie and uh, Kentucky Senator Rand Paul. Um, it can was I sort of, actually, yeah, J- can I jump yeah. in on the Walker thing right quick? Yeah, go ahead, Jason. Um, I actually thought his, 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 the question was, because I just listened to the debate before we came on the air, um, the question was, uh, you promised a quarter of a million, you got half that number. And Walker's response was, well, I like to aim high and come in short rather than aim short and come in short. And I thought that was actually a pretty good answer. And in terms of general performance, um, you do have to remember where he's coming from in, um, in judging the, the 35 number. I mean, Wisconsin has not been in a very good place for pretty much ever. And uh, for, for a variety of different reasons, it's a deep blue state. There's, there's a lot there that's... Uh, that's just kind of unproductive. But uh, in, in overall terms of reform and turnaround, I think he's done, he's done pretty well. And 35 is not a bad number when you're competing against states like Texas and Indiana and uh, deep red states, of which are now almost a majority. Yeah. Um, just because, I mean, they're already largely free market, largely jobs-oriented. So Yeah, I, I want to go to Robin Ficker to talk about the exchange between Chris Christie and Rand Paul. Uh, Robin, when they were talking about the NSA and they were talking about the, the Fourth Amendment and the Bill of Rights, uh, they they had this fierce exchange where Governor Chris, uh, Governor Chris Christie basically said that 
uh, should there be a, a terrorist attack, Rand Paul should be called up before a congressional committee to take responsibility. And then he also said, Rand Paul shot back, you know, if you want, I want to collect more records of terrorists, not innocent Americans. Let's b- abide by the Fourth Amendment. What did you think about that exchange? I was thinking when that was going on, what a wonderful thing it is that we have two fine men like Christie and Paul running for president and that we have virtually the whole nation watching this debate and seeing a discussion uh, um, of this very important issue. Of course, we had Edward Snowden involved in this issue also. Um, I know. And, and we we had this very important discussion going on in a Republican debate, and the Democrats had no debate. They have nothing going on. The fix is in there, and here we're getting all the attention, and we have two very bright guys arguing different sides of, of this important issue. And I, I just thought it was wonderful for the party to have a diversity of views on this issue. Oh, I totally agree. And Corey Stevens, you're a, uh, a supporter of Rand Paul. What did you think about the debate? Did you think, I mean, of course, you know, being a supporter of Rand Paul, I think we both can appreciate his position, but did you think that it was fair in the context of of what each candidate said, and what is your response? You know, I love Rand. I, I have for a long time. I agree that the exchange between Christie and Paul was very good. I think it's important to show that there is a diversity of opinion on that issue in the party. But unfortunately, in that setting where they're just yelling at each other, you don't get a lot in terms of policy. You know, Rand Paul tried to make the point, well, Chris Christie, you know, you still had to, in a lot of your work, get warrants, et cetera. They couldn't really get into the policy of what was going on. Christie was screaming about 9-11, and then Rand Paul shot out with the, well, you hugged Obama thing, which I'm not going to lie, it was kind of shallow. I don't. I really not bit. sure why Rand felt the need to do that. I guess he just that was the best comeback he thought of. But I just think I agree that it's important to have this discussion, but that it wasn't nearly as policy oriented as I would hope. But again, that's the setting that uh, uh, no, that I agree. type of debate creates. That's a great hey, point. Ryan, this is Joey. Do you mind if I just J- Joey? Please, the, yeah, the, feel free to the, jump. I I just want to make this quick point that um, I'm 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 trying to give my equal time to everybody, and uh, it's. Radio is always difficult, but if you guys want to jump in, just jump in. And, Joey, it's on to you. Okay. So just from a policy perspective, here's something that I would like to see. So I thought the exchange was great. I think Christine makes a great point. Like, I'm not particularly a Rand Paul supporter. I'm not particularly a Chris Christie supporter either. I thought they both made some valid points. I thought they both made a couple, like, wah-wah. You know, Rand's thing about hugging was lame. Christie's, I mean, I don't know how many times he's going to rely on 9-11. I, I'm sorry. Um, and I'm more of a hawk. I'm a military veteran, but there's only so many ham-fisted ways you can use the remark like he did. What I would like to see on the policy standpoint, I would like to see the discussion of uh, the warrant issue. Um, I'm, I'm, that's probably one of the issues where I'm most sympathetic with Rand Paul is the issue of the warrant. Um, but again, also, you know, I'm coming from that that you know military perspective where how do you collect intelligence? It's inevitably going to you know end up coming back here because it's not it's, this is not happening in a foreign country or a single place around the world. What I would like to see on the policy standpoint, where they're talking about warrants, though, is even if you get the warrants. I mean, we've had a foreign intelligence surveillance court, and I know Robin Ficker, you're an attorney, and there might be somebody else on here. So correct me if I'm if I'm not remembering this right. Um, but because um, uh, I don't practice, uh, I don't practice law anymore, even though I'm barred, and I certainly don't, you know, practice in the, the intelligence court. But as I seem to recall, we've had the uh, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court for several decades now, and one of the issues that has come up is that as we've gotten into wiretap, as we've gotten into a much greater use of foreign intelligence surveillance uh, subpoenas and whatnot. The issue is that even if I get a warrant, it is reviewed by a, a uh, FISA judge, and then the the people who want who might want to defend themselves against that warrant don't actually always have the opportunity to know what's in the warrant. So it's conducted by a court that has a security classification, and then the people who are supposed to defend themselves don't have the opportunity to even review any of that at the initial stages. It may come later. I'm not certain on all the details of it. 
-hmm. And I don't know how you communicate that in a simple way through simple formats because it's a it's a very detailed kind of nuanced um, issue. But that's something that I would like to see more of between. Uh, I'd like to see more out of uh, out of on that issue from Rand, um, right. and then also from the other folks who are much more uh, Patriot Act friendly. I'd like to understand a little bit more about that issue and how they view it. Yeah, I want to talk about the other two senators. We talked a little bit about Rand. I want to talk about uh, Senators Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio. The general consensus of the night was that Marco had a, an extraordinarily great night um, because he was articulate, he was youthful. Uh, he he articulated some deep policy. He showed his colors on uh, foreign policy, on small business. In fact, Rubio was asked a question about what he would do for small businesses, and he gave a very detailed five- or six-point plan in which he included he would repeal Dodd-Frank, he would repeal Obamacare, improve higher education, he would, uh, of course, balance the budget and uh, take on regulatory issues. Um, he would uh, even out the tax code to 25%, and uh, he talked about how America uh, competes globally with other, uh, with, with you know, in a global context. Um, I thought Rubio, uh, throughout the entire debate, uh, had a very positive message. I thought he he was very on point, and he's somebody that I look at and I think. Okay, I can get behind him. I don't agree with Rubio on everything, especially um, his drug policy, but that's for a, a different de uh, debate and panel. But nonetheless, I think are we in agreement, or can we all c consider Rubio had a above average or one of the best or top three performances? And let's go down the line. Eugene Craig, Marco Rubio. Marco had the best performance of the night. Okay, fair That's enough. That's the best way I could put it. Okay, Corey, Marco Rubio, what did you think about his performance? I agree that Marco had the best performance of the night, but I would say his closing statement was a little awkward. He stumbled over his horrible campaign slogan, A New American Century. I hate that. I know that maybe he's trying to sound useful and whatnot, but to me it invokes the thing I dislike about him most, which is his foreign policy. Mm -hmm. um, I really want to like Marco Rubio. I think he's great on economic policy. I love his background. There's so much to like about him, but on drugs and foreign policy, as a libertarian Republican, it's so hard for me to get past that. But objectively, yeah. yes, I think he had the best performance of the night, minus his closing statement. Rob Nicky, uh, thoughts. Ted Cruz uh, is a very skilled person, um, a Princeton graduate, debate team guy, somebody that has an incredible depth of the English language, and someone who is very articulate articulate in how he phrases his positions. How do you think his performance was um, was perceivable to the mass public? What do you think about his performance on stage? I thought uh, Ted Grace, you know, he, oh, excuse me, Ted Cruz stayed on message and delivered concise responses. Um, I thought they were drab. And he didn't really break out from the rest of the field. I personally do not care for Ted Cruz. However, um, after that debate, he was one of the candidates that possibly I could get behind moving forward, which six months ago was a huge turnaround for me. Yeah. Um, Robin Ficker, he, Ted Cruz did talk about the Russia and China cyber war, and he made a comment, yes, indeed, we are, of course, um, the Russian and Chinese have perpetuated a, a Chinese uh, a, a cyber war, and he said that radical Islam is on the rise. And I believe he gave the best answer, most detailed and complex and comprehensive answer to the General Soleimani question, where he said that he was personally responsible for the murder of over 500 servicemen. Um, and which begs the question: uh, Is Ted Cruz? Is he a contender? Can he break out? Does he have an opportunity to really step it up? I, I would feel safe if Ted Cruz were president. And I'm, I'm eager to see. I, it, it's, we're not going to have votes until February. I right. hope that he stays around till then because I'd be very eager to see if he does well in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina. He's a, he's a bright guy. He's nobody's fool, and he would be a great debater against Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Uh, we forgot to mention one person, or maybe two, and we'll get to them. Um, Jason, thoughts on Dr. Ben Carson's performance? He did a lot better than I was initially expecting of him. He didn't make any of the uh, massive blunders that he's become somewhat known for. Um, I mean, 
he's coasting mostly on um, his early boosts, but uh, everybody goes into these things with a different agenda. So it's 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 I don't think it's useful to try and say who had the best night. Right. But uh, I don't I don't think anybody, maybe except for Trump, had a bad night. <laughs> because Trump did make a couple things. I mean, he bragged about bribing politicians, and he bragged about having yeah. tons of money, and he bra- and and you know he he basically threatened the Republican Party, elect me or I'm giving the election to Hillary Clinton. I mean, so hopefully it kills his numbers a little bit. But everybody else, I think, did fine. Probably accomplished what they set out to accomplish. Walker wasn't trying to have a big breakout moment. He was trying to present himself as kind right. Mr. Normal and and everybody. I mean, he even mentioned that. He said he was aggressively, what was it, aggressively normal or aggressively... Yeah. Yeah, some, yeah. Something along those lines. Uh, Carson had but, a good, a couple good quips about... Uh, he talked about uh, nuclear weapons and chemical weapons from Bashir al-Assad, and he had made the point that he wants to shore up our military first and that we have... He said that we've weakened ourselves, and he also had a few good one-liners and... Uh, I've watched some of the pundits uh, on television exclaim that that they believe that he was one of the better candidates and some think that he actually won the debate, whatever that means. But um, I think uh, Carson um, definitely surprised me. I think that's that's how I feel, that he surprised me in his performance. And um, he was detailed. He had some policy. I think he needs to work on communication a little bit more. Um, but overall, I think he had a pretty decent night. Um, I want to go to uh, Corey Stevens. Um, John Kasich, I believe, had one of the best lines when uh, he was asked about um, a gay, about gay marriage. And he said um, – I'm trying to find my, <laughs> my notes here. I have like three pages of notes. Um, he said that you know, he's a traditional guy or an old-fashioned person. Um, and he, but he recently went to a wedding to, uh, for someone who was gay. And he said, you're going to have to accept them. You love them, and you treat everybody with respect. And he, he, the question was phrased, you know, if your daughter was gay, how would, you, how would that work? And he said, you know, I'm going to love them no matter what. What did you think about Kasich's performance in, in that particular comment? I thought it was great. I thought that was one of the best parts of the night. I'm, you know, as a, a younger libertarian-leading Republican, you know, being under 30, pretty much everyone in my generation, all the Republicans, almost all of us, we are for marriage equality, and it's kind of a done deal with the Supreme Court. I I just think that the way Kasich talked about it is how other Republicans need to talk about it. You can be traditional personally, but you can also be accepting, and you don't have to use government against people. And I think the way he talked about it was very humanizing, and I think all the Republicans should learn from that. I think um, also the way Jeb Bush speaks about immigration is the same way. You can be a human and you can look at the individual people and still support policies. I think that politicians need to get better at separating those things out because people vote based on how they connect you. You know, average people don't sit there and read tax policy plans. They want to know you're a good guy. And I think Casey came across as a good guy with that comment. And I actually have to say his performance surprised me. I kind of like Kasich. I have a problem with the fact that he uh, talks about expanding Medicaid and thinks that you have to expand government to be, you know, a, a conservative who cares about right. people. I have a problem with that, but I think that he comes across well in that he did better than I expected. Maybe he had a hometown advantage in Ohio, but overall I have to say I was, I was pretty impressed with Kasich and especially that gay comment. Robin. And, uh, uh, I was going to say Ryan. Right. Sorry. Go ahead. Rob. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say to tag along on that. I can't believe that you've waited so seven minutes left in your radio show to talk about. I think the breakaway performance of the yeah. entire debate. I mean, for a guy who barely squeaked his way onto the debate stage, I think honestly, Kasich's main goal was to just get his name out there. Yeah. Um, and I think playing off that home court advantage that he had. Uh, I think he handled questions really well. He did so with a lot of, um, you know, uh, what, um, what, um, and I'm sorry, I forgot her name. Casey, I think it was, um, was mentioning very likable individual. I mean, I think he was able to handle questions efficiently and while pivoting his credentials as, you know, uh, a, a, a budget conservative, a budget hawk, um, mm-hmm. and somewhat of his foreign policy resume. I think this is truly one of the two or three guys from that debate that we as a Republican Party should be getting behind. 
Uh, I want to go to Robin Ficker. Uh, one candidate that we haven't discussed and we have little time to do it um, is Mike Huckabee, uh, the former governor of Arkansas. He talked about uh, – he was asked a question about the military and the don't ask, don't tell policy and how uh, they're, they're, they're starting to uh, be more accepting of transgendered. And he made a comment and he said the military is not a social experiment. We should not be paying for transgendered uh, people in the service. Um, what do you think about that? What do you think about Huckabee, Huckabee's run overall in this election? I mean, he won last time in Iowa, but then uh, you know he kind of dropped out there and was one of the final four in 2008. Um, why is he running again? The guy's kept his name out there by being on television uh, since the last election. He appeals to the evangelicals. I think he's a little behind the times as far as transgender and gays is concerned. But war is hell. And he made the point that, uh, that, that the military has to win wars, and that, that view has to prevail over everything else. Uh, and the lives of our boys are important. And seeing guys walk down the streets of Bethesda, Walter Reed, saying that their good leg hurts and then pointing to their metal leg as their good, as their good leg. War is hell. And we've got to keep that in mind uh, when someone attacks us. Uh, but I think he's behind on the transgender. He's behind on, on the gay issue when we have to be accepting. And the military, I think, has to get up to date on, uh, in that regard, as does Huckabee. Yeah, thank you hey, for that. We have, you, you, Joey, we have – I want to go down the list. We have about three minutes sure. left. And so we, Eugene had to cut out and run, unfortunately. But so um, I'm going to go to the top of my list. Um, let's try to limit our answers to about 20 or 30 seconds. Corey, um, best and worst night in this debate? Worst night, Trump. Best night, Rubio slash Kasich. Okay. Great answer. Joey, you're next. Best and worst night? I'm going to say best would be Rubio and worst would be Trump. Okay. Rob. You're talking to Rob. No, no, no. Rob Nicky. I think you said Rob. Sorry. Best night, John Kasich. Worst night, Trump. Worst night, Trump. Robin Ficker, best and worst night for the candidate. I think the best night was the Republican Party for having this wonderful discussion that commanded the uh, the nation's attention and made people think about the Republican Party and forget the Democratic Party uh, for a while. And and I don't think Trump's night was as bad uh, as some people would say because. All the social media, all the the news about the debate was mostly about him. Yeah, yeah. Great point. Jason, uh, best and worst night? Uh, Trump had the best night, but like I said, there's too many different objectives in play. To, or Trump had the worst night, but there are too many objectives in play to see who had the best. Okay. If you had to pick between the top three who you thought had a great night, wh- who would you say? I... I think Walker had a fine night. He wasn't trying. He was trying just to be likable and not to do something exceptionally stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, Cruz was Cruz. I mean, I really don't have a, a, a good answer there. Yeah. Okay. F- fair enough. Uh, down the line, one more question. Uh, Corey Stevens, best breakout moment or best moment for you that you most liked throughout the debate? The best breakout moment had to have been Kasich with the gay comment as discussed before because he was such an unknown entity. So I think yeah. that put him on the map. Yeah. Joey Swartz, best best uh, moment of the debate. Uh, you know, I think I think Kasich, uh, or Kasich pretty much stands out. Uh, but uh, I think the exchange between uh, between Rand and uh, Christie would, uh, would be a very, very close second. It's hard to pick between the two. Yeah, I agree. Rob, uh, best moment of the night? Um, yeah, I think you're all crazy because it definitely was Ben Carson talking <laughs> <Okay>. about <laughs> someone beating him to yeah. removing half of a brain. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Ro- Robin Ficker, uh, best moment of the night of the debate? Well, of course, I like Christie because he helped Larry Hogan become governor of Maryland, but, but he made <laughs> the most he made the most important point when he said that We've been talking about 29% of the budget and, and not the 71% that are the entitlements, and that issue has to be addressed, and he brought it to the forefront. I appreciate that. that. Jason, best moment of the night? Uh, 
it would have been for Rand Paul when Christie basically came out in favor of Big Brother. I mean, that yeah. was the gist of their their exchange was basically Rand Paul was saying just obey the law. Good, and good. Christie's argument is all right. We're the government. We're looking for terrorists. We don't have. Well, to. we got to wrap this up, guys. Uh, we have ten seconds. I want to thank each of you for being on the panel. A great discussion. I hope you all come back again. Thank you for doing this, and this has been another episode of A Minor Detail. Have a great night, and God bless. Thank you.